Welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD, where successful San Diego leaders share their stories of leading beyond profit and are using the influence of business to positively change the companies and communities we all work and live in. I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership, a unique set of processes that unlock the unlimited passion and potential of your team to create a 10x result in your business. We want to thank our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, Be Local, and Cause San Diego. We're all focused on impacting the community of San Diego through the work they do as business leaders. Welcome to the show. Today in the studio, we have a business builder. Some folks are idea people. Others are good operators, maintain the business. But the ability to go from idea to successful business is a unique skill set. Ted Foliani, welcome to Conscious Conscious Curiosity ST. Easy for me to say. Thanks for having me. Ted is a business builder. Over the past 25 years, he's founded and built successful e-commerce, SaaS, tech-enabled services, manufacturing, and logistics companies. A centerpiece to his success, which is near and dear to me, is his belief that hiring great people and holding each other accountable is critical to building great companies. So, Ted, I'm very excited to have you share with the audience today some of the key lessons you've learned over the years building these businesses and what it takes to actually get that done. So, you ready to do it? I am ready to share, yes. Well, to get the ball rolling right out of the get-go here, what is like one hard truth that you've learned, and maybe there's a great story that goes with it, that's so important when you're about to go build a business or in the process of building a business? Like, what's that one key thing that you would say, or the years, this is what I learned. Can't miss out on this. Yeah. <laughs> or I don't think, do uh, this. Maybe it might be the other way of looking at it. You know, it's been interesting because I've, in the businesses I've started, they didn't start with an elaborate 40-week business plan. What am I supposed to be doing? They really started around something that might've been missing in the market or a service level that wasn't being done by other people. You know, most of my businesses are an offshoot of existing services. You know, contract manufacturing has been going on for a very long time. I did it in a way that was local and regionalized and at a certain size. So really, really almost niche So finding a niche within something. Finding something, something within those and just doing it better. What I think was important, especially in the later businesses, was what I had learned previously from my wins and losses of picking the right business model which to me was margin, use of cash, and the ability to actually be profitable. Because I have spent some time, which may come out today, you know, where you're building a great business and you're making money, but are you really producing cash? Are you really taking cash out of the business? And my first business was very inventory heavy. So most of the earnings went back into inventory. When I started the more recent business, the napkin didn't say the traditional business things. The napkin said, I want high margin and good cash flow. So you learned something. Yeah, I learned something. And then I <laughs> Let's went Let's go make found, some money doing this thing. I right? found the business that matched the principles. It's important to love what you do. I get that. It's important. To, and I have woke up every day and skipped to work, even in the worst of times. I have enjoyed going to work. I think it's statistically harder that what I enjoy doing or what that I like is going to lead me to a good business. I relate it to, I don't use my kid's birthday for the lottery numbers. The odds of me winning the lottery are already hard enough that the odds that it's going to be my kid's birthday is even, even tighter. So I'm not the biggest believer in start a business because you believe everybody else is like you. It's okay to do it because you love it. I have always tried to start businesses that had strong core business principles behind them. And then what I ended up doing, it just made sure that I enjoyed going to work and being with the right people when I got there. Oh, I love that. 
So it's kind of a key, right? You're like not trying to sell some grandiose idea to somebody like, oh, I thought it was great. My mom thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. You well, know? that's, yeah, my, my circle. The market's already, yeah, your circle. The market's saying there's a need here. There's an opportunity here that's real. There's a need here. And I think that if you look at Shipcom, who's the logistics company from a few years back, it was nothing new. We just did it in a different way. And I wasn't a guy that grew up saying, I can't wait to put stuff in boxes and ship it to people. That wasn't the math. The math was, I think there's a big business here. And I think that brands will appreciate high levels of service if we did it a little bit differently. I wasn't a transportation person. I wasn't a logistics So maybe, maybe share what Shipcom is. For uh, Shipcom is an e-commerce fulfillment platform. It's a third-party operations business. So D2C brands or retail brands that need to get their product to market. It's a tech and software Play. I mean, yes, we're putting stuff in boxes and shipping it to stores in people's houses, but really the team there is driving technology to integrate and to be a really omni-channel support staff, right? So again, logistics and shipping has been going on for hundreds of years. How do we do it in a way that supports the customers with great technology? And integration really in any business has become a big deal. Whether you're a financial advisor or you're a logistics company or you're a, or a bank, you better be able to integrate across software platforms. So really, Shipcom became a tech play even though it started as a well, that's interesting, right? Play. Yeah. Right. So there's kind of a shift that maybe didn't anticipate there was in the a beginning. Shift. I think the only reason I'm gonna <laughs> I'm not disputing you was that my very first hire, my very first relationship was uh, the current CEO, who is a tech guru. So who thinks that a logistics company that you you find a partner mm. who's a technology guru? You would think that I would have found the most amazing truck driver on the planet. No. I didn't need a truck driver. I need someone with architecture ability and in, in technology. So I, I one of the few good decisions. I, mean, I made a lot of good decisions, but one of the good decisions I made was realizing that this business had to be, have a tech background and then hiring people that had tech background because that's not my strength. So you I, saw the writing on the wall. I saw the writing on the wall early enough. And so that was, um, and I'm so happy with the team that we put together there. But so I wouldn't say that it shifted, but I would say that it always was based on those original napkin things, which was it had no inventory. It had high gross margin. It had short AR. Those three things come from someone who obviously didn't do those before. <laughs> So I've had businesses with bad AR, lots of inventory and really bad margins. So that's the lesson. The lesson is where do I want to spend my energy? Well, I chose on my second part of my career to focus on things that made the business healthier versus just a business that was something that I was used to doing. So that's the business foundation. That's really kind of picking the right place to go play the game, right? Mm -hmm. The right playing field, the honors, the business outcomes that you're looking for. That's exactly right. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So what else is key? So let's, let's go find the right game to play, <laughs> yeah. right field to play it on. Yeah. What else is key in success? Because the ability to kind of go from zero to building something successful, man, there's so many opportunities for things to go wrong. Yeah. And I've done most of those wrong things. I've made a lot of mistakes and, and you know, have embraced them all with the same fervor that you embrace the wins. I think the sign of a good CEO is that they're willing to live with the great wins and they're willing to get through the lows. So I think the other piece is understanding that you're going to need to have the right people and in order to get the right people, this is in my experience, whether it's gonna go great or really gonna go poorly, and I'm gonna say, especially in San Diego, not all my businesses have been just in San Diego, but they were core, they were based here. If you don't do it with integrity, you're gonna have trouble in this town. And even in my greatest failures, I always felt that I did it with a lot of integrity that at least let me look across the table and say, hey, we're still gonna do right by who we can do right by. That was always a core for me. What that helped me with is I didn't have a lot of tolerance for people who worked with me, who didn't have a similar level of integrity. Mm. So it was a good filter. And you know, it's all higher, slow, fire, quick. I was always sort of higher, quick, fire, quick. 
you know, bring them in, give them a chance. My, my instincts are usually pretty good. But I think because I was basing things on, some of my decisions were based on when things go wrong, who do I want around me? Everybody's great when things are going great. I mean, right, we're right, happy. Right. There's parties. There's yeah, you're, you're celebrating you, margins. And, you know, <laughs> but, but I think because I, when I had gone through my biggest challenges and tried to do that with a lot of integrity, it really led me to believe that's the kind of people I want to be around, which, you know, we can tell someone who's a great employee or a great worker, but maybe he doesn't have the integrity levels that we'd want to be around every day. So it helped me really hire great people. And I became a much better hiring person in the back half of my career than I was in the early part of my career. I mean, so it, help it, us with that. Because I remember the, when we were having coffee, you said like, it's actually one of your superpowers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you said it's kind of your ability. Profiler, kind of, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> what I tell people is I wasn't given a ton of gifts that I could put on a piece of paper, but I do believe that my instincts around people and my ability to read them has been, you know, curated by those around me. Everything go back to when we were young. Yeah, right? We can blame right. everything on our parents when we were six, good, seven Good and bad, old. right? Well, good and bad. It's always <laughs> their fault, right? But I think for a very long time, I've been willing to trust my instincts about people. And I'm not, especially now in my career, I'm not wrong very often about where'd they come from? What are their brothers and sisters like? What are their, are their parents hardworking people? You know, I've spent a lot of time with employees in sort of the 15 to $22 an hour range. A lot of my businesses were built around those amazing people. And the respect I've had for them has always been very, very high. And the discussions that we would have around that their parents are still working. My parents worked late when they did or didn't have to work late in their lives. I put that on a very, very high on the list of how good of an employee is someone going to be. There's a DNA thing going on. If they if they come from people that enjoy working and that are willing to commit. And, you know, that's gotten hard with whatever you want to call the generation of five jobs in five years. And they're switching because there's a 10% raise over here and no one's willing to commit to the long-term play here. And by the way, the long-term play, if you go back to when I started working, it was a 20 years was a long-term play. Now it's six. Mm. Six is now a long-term play. Just to get people to hang around for four to six years to build up a really successful company is not easy. And I think it's finding those people by looking them in the eye. It's why I don't like interviews on Zoom. I like to sit in front of somebody. I like to talk to them. I don't even know if I ask questions about the work, to tell you the truth, when I'm interviewing people. I'm talking about, you know, you got to be careful in California what you ask them. But, you know, you can find out their passion for work, their passion for promotion. I've had a, a long history of if I don't know your next three jobs, I'm probably not going to hire you. Like if I don't see you going somewhere. Oh, within your organization. Within, when I hire people, like uh, I'm hiring them for position A. And in that first interview, I will tell them, you know what? I can see where you would be in three years. And that's your next job. Because I don't know if anybody gets excited about 2% raises every year or 3% raises every year. So if I can't show somebody a path to a bigger job, they don't get as excited as I want them to be. So I'm pretty firm in, if I don't know what your next couple jobs are, I may not bring you in for this one. And that's proven. There's a lot of people running around town today that came in as a machine operator, and now they're a director of operations at a big company. Because there's something that we have to accept when we do that math. That third job may not be with me. Like they may leave. And I embrace that. And I tell them, hey, I might price you out of my market because they might get all these great skills because I'm willing to invest in them. The second job, I can probably keep them. That Third job, there's a good chance they're going somewhere else. And that's, that's okay. That's, that's where you got to build the company. That's get, okay. Create opportunities for people to that's grow with the business. That's what they want. They right? want that. And I had that conversation just a couple of days ago at a company I'm, that I'm working at. She had a certain role. I said, I think I want, I want to make you the operations manager. She had no experience being an operations manager. She could do it. And I said, in three years, you're probably going to leave here because I'm going to give you some skills that are going to be very attractive to somebody. And we may not be able to afford promoting you fast enough because, you know, the funnel starts to get tied up at right, the top, right? Of right? course. So I've never been afraid to do that. And I've never been afraid to tell people that. And you can imagine sitting in an interview with someone, they're like, yeah, you may not be here in three years because you're going to outgrow the company. Like, 
is this guy? Why would he tell me that? So again, it's- I'm going to say, interrupt for a second. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying is pretty awesome. So note to file, anybody listening to this podcast, because it used to be the classic back in the day. So where do you want to be in five years? Yeah. They weren't like asking that. They're just like, well, hopefully they're showing some initiative. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. That was the goal. But from the hiring manager's perspective, to be thinking, have that mindset, that's like really powerful. That's really kind of amazing because it really creates a whole new filter it's a yeah. great enrollment conversation for the right people. Right? Sure, sure. But it also creates a kind of different filter for you and what you're looking for. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I appreciate I've never that. heard anyone that really say that in that kind of way. Well, I don't, and I, I think, don't it's think really they powerful. know the answer to the question, where do you want to be in five years at my company? Not, yeah. Like to your point, they're going to just say something, whereas I'm flipping it and saying, I actually know where you're going to be in three years because I'm just trying to get the good people in the door. Right. But you're also trying to create something. You're the leader. You should have a vision where the business is we going. We should know where we're going. Right. Yeah. So you're like, going, okay, I got a view of what this place is going to look like three years from now, and I'm going to need certain kinds of things I don't have today. Correct. So if you're hiring for that, oh, that's yeah, great. That's, that's how we do it. That's really powerful stuff. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, you know, part of what I do with the jailbreak is really around team performance. So we get the great individuals in. So how do you successfully bring them together as a team? Oh, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, I think my most recent experience with that, I even was, I was actually limited a little bit because we didn't have a lot of cash to bring in the people we wanted to bring in. And and I think one of the mistakes- well, you, that, Do we ever? Well, that's a, that's the issue, right? right. That, that literally is- the, That's of, part of the job, Ted. Of the many mistakes I've made, the one that I think about a lot is over-titling people when I bring them in. Like, oh, I need a director of ops. And, oh, and I got to have somebody who's got skills and- they want to make X, right? And I'll, I'll never forget. I'm in some couple CEO peer groups and I told them I'd hired a director of ops and what I was paying this person. And it's, I mean, they said, that is not a director of ops, right? I'm like, what do you mean? Well, because director of ops need to have this experience and this much pay. And what I learned was I should hire who I need and not who I can afford. And that's hard to do sometimes because you don't have the money to hire the right person. We've been very lucky or I've been very lucky that people have trusted that we will get somewhere or I can't afford them, right? And, you know, as you've delivered that a few times and the next crew of people that come through talk to the ones that you brought along and like, yeah, they'd actually, right. they were able to do that. So one of the ways we've been, we've had to get people's trust quickly that we're going somewhere because I usually cannot afford to pay them what they deserve and I can't afford to pay me what I deserve, right? And, you know, I've never forget a employee walked in and he was probably making 18 bucks an hour. He says, I think I deserve more money. And I looked at him and I said, I agree you deserve more money. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you. And I looked at him, I said, and I think I deserve more money too. I think we're in the same boat. How do we get there? Yeah, got any thoughts on this? <laughs> yeah, what, do you, what, do you, what should we do, right? So, so you just push it back to, and that's a, it's an age old challenge of how much you share with management, how much you share with your company. You want to talk about profitability, you want to talk about cash flow, but you also have to have a finance 101 meeting, which is, hey guys, we did 20 million of revenue. That doesn't mean Ted took home $20 million. That's not how business works. So we kind of erred on the side of, sharing financial performance, but really filtering it with economics 101, mm. talking about taxes, so talking about inventory. So we say, hey, yeah, at, we yeah. did $40 million of revenue. Our net income was here. I'm paying half of that in taxes. I'm doing this. I'm bonusing this. So they would at least appreciate that we were taking care of them the best that we could. So I think transparency helped us get people. Your question was, how do we get these great teams around? And I think that one other piece that makes it successful is letting them run, letting them do what they're hired to do. And I was not good at getting out of the way for a long part of my career. CEO in my 30s, I was a very different CEO than I was in my young 50s. I probably didn't let people run enough, right? I hired people that did it my way. And I hired people that would do it my way. Not that they would listen to me, but that we were so similar. So there is a balance between innovation, dynamic people who do it their way and chasing the vision, which is now back to just communication amongst that management team 
to make sure you're on the same page. People want to feel good about what they're doing. People don't want to always be told what to do, at least the dynamic ones. I would trade a very difficult report for the innovation they bring. And I've hired some people that, and I've looked at them in the eyes and said, you are the most difficult person I've ever had to manage in my life, but I love that you're here, right? Because they're much more exciting than a boring person. So I think it's incentivizing them with as much of a much control of their day, that they can be innovative, that they can contribute and that they feel they're contributing. And then backing that up at some point in that process with financial gain. Like we have to remember that most of these businesses are around to actually make money. Right. That's um, the goal. That's the ultimate goal, right? Is to make some money. But. I, I do some consulting these days. And one of the guys I asked, I said, why did you buy this business? And he gave me a, a la la answer around, well, I want to build the artist community and I want to build this community. And I said, you didn't say anything about making money. Philanthropy. Uh, yeah. I, thought, yeah I, said, <laughs> I go, so he goes, well, I thought that was understood. I said, it is, but you didn't say it. And if you don't say it to me, when I ask you, it means your people don't know that it's an important part of your business mm. because they're here because they want raises and bonuses and be a part of a winning team and grow. And that takes money. So I've, at many points in my career, I sort of forgot that. And I was, yeah. you were growing it, sort of growing at all costs. And I think it's, well, especially what's happening now with getting money and private equity investment and debt. There's a lot of businesses that were on the grow at all costs and they can't raise more capital right now. So you right. have to Stuff be, there. you have to be looking at being pretty darn close to profitability to even get capital. So I think it's the right, I think it's the right way to live, but I'm also, that's how I'm built yeah. you know, to do that. So I do a lot of strategic planning with people. And that's one of the things I like to do is go, well, what's the success factor? Right. And so that's the dollars and cents. Like what's the revenue target <laughs> right. and the profitability and all that kinds of good stuff. Yep. Okay. Well, let's get that clear because now we got to say, what are the things we're going to do to go make that to happen? That, yeah. Then now I always like to ask the next question. So what's the significance factors, right? What are we doing here that's around the meaning and the impact and what we want to look like in the community to each other, right? So what kind of initiatives are we doing around that? So there's two pieces of the pie. Yeah. Can't, can't have one without the other. Right? No, no, no. You need to have both of those yep. going. Uh, yeah. Well, that's some really good stuff. I, I love that. Any other factors, you know, people, obviously that's sort of the machine that's running the operation is really critical and a team that's performing here versus performing up here just makes a huge difference. Anything else? Uh, so we kind of got the baseline. we got the players on the field. What else is key to business success? This is not new news, I don't think, but the customers just got to be happy. You know, mm. I think um, probably one of the largest software companies, well, surely one of the largest ones founded here, you know, their phrase was just over delight their customers, right? And if everything we do is around keeping the customer happy, well, guess what? Revenue grows, sales grow. The employees actually, I feel, are happier. So I'm a relatively codependent CEO. I've always been that with my employees and with my customers. If I ranked sort of, this is probably a little too transparent, but if I've ranked the important things in my life when I went back to my 30s and 40s especially, it was literally customers, employees, business, family, TED. So I was at the very end of it, right? So that meant that maybe I wasn't working out, that maybe I wasn't staying mm. up on my reading, that maybe like I was the last of them, right? And I think it's important that the customers at the top, I think employees and customers have to sort of be, they may waffle hand, back and forth of, because yeah. I think you can't have happy customers if your employees aren't. I do think as a leadership team, it's important to keep that team happy and healthy, right? So I don't think it's good that the CEO, for me, was at the bottom of that list, right? Right. I think you can't, um, you can't give, you got nothing to give, if, right? If you're, if you're spent because you right. spent all your energy getting that one customer happy and it was hours and hours and hours and you changed every rule and you changed pricing and you just basically, you sacrificed everything. And I was a miserable person the next day. I'm not going to be an attractive partner in a business, an attractive boss. So I think that it's important that the customers are happy because if you want to sell stuff and I'm sort of by nature, a sales guy, I mean, I grew up finance and you know, operations person, but you know, when you're the CEOs, you're selling, you're a salesperson of your business and your people. The good customer service makes selling really easy. 
I mean, just look at Google reviews. Look at, it's what everybody's really careful about these days, especially on the D2C side of the world. You have to keep your customers happy because they are a potential threat if that person is social media adept. Right. Like they could hurt you. So blow you up. You better be. So I, I think, you know, model's Look at the university great. presidents right now. There you go, right? They're, they're, and, and someone got hooked on those things. So I think delighting the customer, getting them happy before they ask. Like if you know you, you're shipping late, don't wait till you ship late. Like if I was going to be late to come here today and I called you one minute before I'm supposed to be here, to me, that's just rude. Like I knew I was going to be late 20 minutes ago. Let's right, say. So right, right. I think being proactive with the customers around your service levels and how you're getting better, you're starting to put together a pretty winning. If you have a good business model and good people and your customers are happy, you're pretty much left with margin at that point about how to make the business good. Yeah. But I've always been very focused on keeping the customers happy. So I think you answered my question that I had here. So I, I was in a meeting yesterday and kind of one of my partners put this to the CEO of the business and because we're kind of talking about where the business was going. And he said, well, there's usually three things you need to consider and you got to pick one. Oh yeah, That's what my partner said. He said, yeah. so one is, is this company about price? Is it about innovation or is it about making it easy to do business with? Which oh, I would geez. say is the customer service, right? Yeah. It's like, you kind of get to choose, right? So you're super high innovation. No one else is supplying this. Okay, you can be a butthead. In the market, yeah, right, right, right. You can get away with it. <laughs> or I'm going to be the lowest cost provider. Okay, you know, race to the bottom, whatever. But yeah, know, that that's us. Or is it really about the customer? So, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to pick one. <laughs> you were kind of lighting up the customer piece. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, it was an interesting question. Yeah. I haven't heard it that I've heard the one about price, quality, and delivery, you know, and you get to pick two out of three, but I haven't heard this one. Well, well I think I, the quality piece is like that. I think I like the idea of innovation being different because it really makes it stand out, right? I, I don't know if you can have a successful business that's not based in innovation, that doesn't have it a part of your culture part of your values. You know, there was a big spine company in town that used to tell them they were the billion dollar startup and innovation was a big deal. Like you just can't get, you can't rest on anything anymore. So I have, I'm having trouble separating innovation from <laughs> right. customer service. But you know, at the end of the day, if you have picked something and you're good at it and your customers are happy, and I'm assuming all the other business principles are in a good spot, margin on time delivery, all that wonderful stuff, supply chain solid. I think the customer service, because I'm backing into innovation because what I'm going to say is if the customers need something different and you're willing to keep them happy, I'm going to secretly be innovative. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you to be innovative. I'm going to tie it. I'm going to put it in the customer service budget. But I think that if you let me pick two, I would do innovation and customer service because I think you have to be, someone's going to copy you. Someone's going to infringe on your license. Someone's going to do it better than you. Someone's going to race to the bottom. And I've done race to the bottom and I don't like losing. And I've won that battle a couple of times, right? That doesn't help anybody. Doesn't help employees. Doesn't help customers. Doesn't help yeah, anything. that seems like a come a lose lose. That, that model, was a, right? that was the only easy one to sort of let go. But if I was able to say I refuse to answer that question, if unless I could pick two, I would pick innovation and customer service. If I really backed into a corner, I'd say, well, let me do customer service and I'll work towards innovation. Whatever I got to do, way. yeah, I'll get to make the it. customer yeah. happy. Yeah, we'll give the answer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. our uh, the, the guy we were talking to like immediately went to, oh, it's the customer. He did, yeah, that's good. And we said, oh, okay, that, that clarified a whole bunch it's of the right stuff. answer. <laughs> it really did clarify a lot of it things. It does. It does redirect what you do and it redirects the message you to all your people about what's important. There's many times in my life I've had to trade income for customer service, right? You're going to ship somebody another unit because they don't like it. You can fight it or you can just send it. Right. right. So there's sometimes there's financial decisions that get driven by that. So yeah, doing the right thing for the customer. A little bit about Ted. Who are you? How'd you get here? Even one of the questions popped in my head when you're kind of talking about, you know, you got to be able to show up healthy and ready to go. I've just spent the last six weeks uh, every morning in a uh, 
little online class I'm doing called Conscious Leadership. Oh. The whole concept of that is if you're going to lead, you got to lead yourself first. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to come in prepared, be conscious, be able to come up with good creative solutions versus just reacting and freaking out <laughs> yeah, or whatever, right? right? So they're filling us with a bunch of techniques <laughs> to manage ourselves. Right, yeah. <laughs> habits. Right, exactly. Habits. Yeah. 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 Yelling and screaming is supposed to be the last thing you should do. So tell us about your background, how you got to be here. And yeah, I've been in San Diego for a little over 20 years, came down in 99. Originally came down, I had a manufacturing business and we came down to San Diego. It was a little lower labor market. We were going to build back uh, back in the day, back in the day, (laughs) the numbers were ridiculously small. We were chasing another dollar per hour savings. Yeah. Let's go to San Diego. That's a cheap place. Right. That was it. We did come down for cheap, right? And now you go a little further, maybe in Mexico. <laughs> well, we, we actually did that. And we were frustrated because back then it was all about employee retention. And, you know, back then when you went into a shelter or a maquiladora, you actually were regulated to not pay more money, right? And I won't, well, the numbers are the numbers. Like they were paying a buck an hour and I wanted to pay two bucks an hour. I wanted retention. I wanted long-term employees. And they were like, you know, and I was a little, a little fly in the, yeah, right, in right. the ointment of the Sonys and everybody that was down there. So I couldn't pay more money which means I couldn't have retention, which means I couldn't get quality. Was that, was that kind of the corporate influence? The bigger companies yeah, say like, yeah, we're not going to do this. this. This little tiny, Got it. tiny uh, company. Right, right, right. It makes sense. Who's not going to go over there for another buck an hour. It's a 50% raise. So I actually did not stay manufacturing in Mexico for very long. And we were committed to building in the USA. And I was made, we were made in San Diego for you know 20 years and did all that wonderful stuff. But that was my originally came down here. As many people... I came down here. I was married at the time. And my wife was, okay, we're going down there. Five years, sell the business and get back out of there. Right. And you get down here like six months in and you're like, we're not going anywhere ever. Right. <laughs> so don't care what the wages go to. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you right? figure we're it staying. Out. Right. And so, yeah. so we've. Where, where did you come from? Where was your. So, I mean, I grew up in Pasadena. I went to college at Santa Clara University up in Northern California. Uh, came back actually right after that. Kind of, I went by the, it probably would have made sense to stay up there where there were some booms coming mm. in the San Jose area. Yeah. I heard rumors of. Right. Um, I came back down and I was very anxious to get to work. I really wanted to contribute. I mean, I'm a worker. I come from a family of workers of a lot of entrepreneurs. So kind of back to that earlier story you were sharing. That's that, it, that yeah. Kind of that DNA, the family, Just who are you? Wanted to go, wanted to go. And, you know, the easiest job was, you know, your friend's dad got you a job working at a customs broker. So that was easier in Southern California because where my connections were. And then kind of did Santa Monica at a vitamin company, did Orange County at a electronics business. Never showed a resume you know, someone's calling, hey, I got you a job in electronics. I don't do electronics. You should take this opportunity. You take an opportunity. And then in 96, 97 is when I started my first business. Just really, it's a good story. I mean, I learned a lot. I was probably not the most mature human at the time of when I exited the last company. The owner of that business was going down a different direction. I thought we should go down a different direction. And But I was smart enough to realize it's his business. He should be able to do what he wants with it. And if I'm not going to fit there, yeah. I need to go. Now, he did end up doing what I eventually thought he should do. So you were, you were right. I was still was right, but, um, but it did. <laughs> note note it, the file. Yeah, I just, I just put that on a, somewhere down there. But it was good for me to go. I mean, I was 26, 27 years old, starting a business with not a lot of capital, but knew what I wanted to do. And it's back to everything we talked about, customer service, providing good product, you know, trying not to race to the bottom, but you're also growing a business. So I had four or five sales offices around Latin America. We did the manufacturing here. We were electronics manufacturing business for a long time and just kind of fell in love with San Diego, you know. The culture is the right speed for me. The B2B is as good as it gets, right? We're all a phone call or two away from every CEO in town, right? And I'm blessed with some great relationships in town as people that have been here for a very long time. And you want to talk to a CEO and find out, you know, just support, advice, direction, a relationship. It's what I love about this town. Don't have to go far. Don't have to go far. You just can't be a jerk, right? 
And that gets known really quickly too. It gets known quickly. You can be strong and you can have a temper. And I've been known, I'm getting better in my older years of, you know, very passionate. And I'm not against passion either in my businesses or outside of my businesses, but, but you can't be mean and you have to be forgiving and you have to be a good human and high integrity, all those wonderful stuff. And then you can succeed here in town because there's always going to be a place to get to work and there's always going to be a place to go and help people. And so we've been happy here and we're not planning on leaving anytime soon. I got some kids in high school and a kid in college and they're all kind of doing their thing. And so we've grown up here and it's- got to keep working, Ted. <laughs> I got those expensive I years going have on. Some, <laughs> those kids, man. I have- What uh, you got, twins? Was that correct? I have triplets. Triplets, that's right. That's right. freshmen in high school and I've heard- Three college tuitions is more than one. I haven't <laughs> quite got the calculator out yet, but I've heard it's more than one. So yeah, I am a very active worker. And, and uh, even like I said, my dad was an attorney. He worked into his seventies and didn't have to. And you know, I kept telling him like, well, none of us can retire until you start thinking about it. And so he actually stepped down a few years back. And But as we all know, I mean, I, I told the story. I feel like what you do, I mean. Well, the other piece, I've asked away. some, you know, when I stepped down to CEO of my last business and handed it off to a great CEO and great team, I went to some of my circle and someone said a, a stat that I use a lot in my own brain is, you know, how old was, you know, Erwin Jacobs when he started Qualcomm? He was in his fifties. Like there's so much time to have a contribution, impact a community, build a business. Don't even get me into the philanthropy of that family because they're amazing in town, right? Like that, he didn't start that when he was 25 years old. He knew a lot. He had probably made a lot of mistakes before that. And he started it at an age where there were still a lot of years to create wealth. And you can go through the Warren Buffetts and when they all made their wealth, I'm kind of just hopefully moving into a place where I've learned enough that my contributions can be significant and I can grow businesses faster and better than I did before. And that's been fun to think about for the last year as I'm trying to find yeah. my next, uh, yeah. my next you're adventure. Kind of, you're kind of checking things out here, right? Checking things out. Yeah. It's uh, not as exciting as being as leading a company. I mean, like, there's days you get a little, not bored isn't the right word, but sort of I like the highs and the lows. And sometimes when- In the team. The team's great and, you yeah. know, and making an impact and listening and contributing. So been different. So I know one of the things you had commented on and you already have a history of looking at different industries and doing different things. Mm -hmm. and, and so as you sit here today and you're kind of thinking about next gen, right? Yeah. Ted 3.0 or which yeah. whatever, whatever version it might be on today. nine, but yeah. 9 yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. The cat. Yeah. Lives. Maybe. I mean, what do you see that's exciting? I mean, where do you see the future going as you look at it? And mm -hmm. Maybe even here in San Diego, what do you see happening? Yeah. What are you excited about? So a great question. I think for me personally, I'm going to try to stay very committed to, it's going to be something new. Like I want to keep learning. One of the most respected CEOs in town, a guy named Dan Squiller, you know, shared with me some advice he got from a very old gentleman who, you know, when you're looking at what you're doing, what matters, right? And working around great people, hugely important. But the one that really stuck was keep learning. We all want to keep learning. When we stop learning, like if I was going to do the same old, same old, probably wouldn't be as exciting for me. So one of my answers to your question is something new, something that I have, that I personally haven't done before. I think a blend, I'm convincing myself that a blend of multiple things I've done is still new, right? I'd love to take manufacturing and logistics and tech enabled like services the integration and put process. it together that, and put something together. Cause yeah. I don't think I'm going to immediately switch over and become a financial advisor. I'm not going to immediately switch over and become an educator. Those will take more time for me to actually have an impact. So I believe that we have some resource challenges in our future as a, you know, water, power, air. I think any of those are interesting to me, like mm. conservation and efficiency. I like that area. So if I could blend logistics and efficiency and consumer goods, yeah, getting somewhere. That sounds good to me. And then who doesn't like software plays? Just because there's, you know, you can make a lot of money very quickly with SaaS and tech-enabled services. That probably stays on the top of my list. Those are the areas I'm going to be in. So I, that's all half of what I think. 
the other half is I've spent 35 years learning some things pretty deeply and my ability to have an impact might be better if I stay closer to those, right? So I want to be sensitive to both sides of that. Like one of them is consolidate, integrate, combine everything I've learned. The other one is I've made every mistake in those two or three types of businesses. I can accelerate growth for that brand much faster. Yeah. So you know, it's really going to be around checking the boxes of a comfortable place to work, strong business principles. Every, we talked about very beginning, strong business principles. And I really need to respect the people that I'm around. And I really need to be at a place where this is going to sound a little funky, but it is sort of how I've lived a lot of my life. It's important to me that someone who's making minimum wage has the ability to make $100,000, right? And if that exists, I tend to fit there. I don't believe after my, especially after my year of soul searching, I don't believe I'm the CEO of a billion dollar company or a $5 billion company. I think I have some- It's not where you want to play. It's not where I want to, it's not where I think I would get the most value. I think I have some character flaws and like most character flaws, my biggest strength is my biggest weakness. So like, I don't think I'm that. But boy, put me into a high growth area where you can carry people along. I love that kind of stuff. So I think it's more the characteristics of the business than actually what they're doing that will drive right, me. Right, right. Within reason, of course, right? So yeah, I mean, I've been a founder CEO for 30 years. In the last year, I've applied for three jobs, like officially applied. I didn't get any of them, right? <laughs> I've, I've, no, uh, no, the final ten. Yeah. The other three that I applied sort of casually, which were through connections, I got those, right? So I think it tells you, right. like, find your fit, and then the job tends to follow. Right, okay. We'll find, we'll find you. Yeah. I love that idea of, of the learning piece. Even in the last year, it's kind of funny. I, you know, I'm a project guy. I've managed big projects pretty much my whole career. And so mm -hmm. I really got to San Diego and tried to make this other shift that didn't really quite work out. And then... All of a sudden, a few things started lining up. But one of the things that lined up for me was facilitation, right? I mean, you can't mm. be a, a project leader of big things and not be a great facilitator, <laughs> right, in my, in my right. opinion, okay? And I kind of thought myself to be one. And I actually even said, hey, how can I enhance that? And this past year, I actually fell into something where, wow, these guys do this really well. Uh, and so, man, I, I jumped in with both feet, paid my <laughs> money, became a member. And I'm on this learning curve of elevating my facilitation skills and yeah. what I'm bringing. That's what I'm part of what I'm bringing to the marketplace today. And it's been mm -hmm. so fun and so exciting because, yeah, it goes back to like, yeah, I, this is part of who I am. I've developed for yeah. years, but now it's like, wow, that opened up a whole new set of opportunities for me. I so, think that learning is helpful. I think yeah. it keeps our minds sharp. Yes. And yes. You're already and a exciting. smart human. And exciting. And it's fun. Yeah. And it is fun. I think you're right. Well, we have to put a bow on this. Okay. So I always like to end with the big idea. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So someone was uh, wrapping up, listening to our podcast, walking into their office, and they said, man, I want to go share with the, uh, the first person I meet at the door this amazing thing I just heard from Ted. What's the big wow. idea? No, no pressure, Ted. <laughs> yeah, no. You know, what's, you, what's the big takeaway? Some people will send that question ahead of time before you get here. But no, I, I like the, I I like the spontaneity of That wouldn't be fair. <laughs> what I've learned over the years, I think, you know, treat business like business. A couple of the mistakes I've made is I brought personal relationships in the business, and I think it didn't help anybody that when we did that. I think it's... Keep business business when you're dealing with your employees and, and your life. I think the integrity piece is, is a big one for me. Like good, bad, or indifferent, everybody has screwed up. When I went through some of my challenges, it wasn't 95%. It was 100% when I would bear my soul. 100% of those people said, oh my gosh, I went through the same thing. And so I wish there had been more proactive sharing. Like, so I think be transparent. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable in business, even in San Diego, people care, people love, people want everybody to do well. And so I think for me, being transparent in a world where maybe you're not supposed to be transparent or be vulnerable, where you're not supposed to be vulnerable, in this town especially, I think it works. It's worked for me, not always on the success side, sometimes on the failure side, 
that allows me to enjoy every day. You know, and I think when people in my life have said, I can't believe you're so comfortable and happy. This is, this business is dying and this, and I was like, it's okay. We've planned for this contingency. We're not dying tomorrow. We're going to recover with integrity. So I think that to me is a big takeaway from my business life was high integrity, keep learning, make sure that the business principles have a path to where you and your company can win. And the rest of it's a little bit agnostic. Like, doesn't matter what it is. Like, I was supposed to be a financial banker when I got out of college. And I was- <laughs> That's what they said. Eh? Yeah, I was like, that's not what I ended up doing. So that's what's been successful for me. And, you know, obviously surrounding yourself with amazing, innovative people that you can trust, you know, and you get to trust. There would be a whole other podcast on trust and how we've used trust in our businesses. But you got to trust each other or I think businesses just can't scale because yeah, right. you just can't do it by yourself. It's the foundation of everything. Yeah, I think so. It's a collection of people going to do something together. If you can't trust each other, odds are it's not going to work out very well. It surely slows you down a lot if you don't. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and coming in today. Love your story. I love some of the ideas you shared and certainly the concept of integrity. And to your point, I just love the idea that when you actually do put things on the table, everyone goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, been there. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. And we're so afraid to do it. And then we find out, oh, that okay. Yeah, <laughs> that, you, you too? Yeah, yeah. you do? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I appreciate that. Well, thanks, Ted. And um, that's our show for today. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe, comment, and most importantly, share the podcast with a friend. Again, special thanks to our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, Be Local, and Cause San Diego. We're all using the influence of business to positively impact our very own community of San Diego. I'm Jeff Lanton from Jailbreak Leadership saying until next time, go do what you do. Go do what you do best, or we're all counting on you.